The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Good day, everyone. This is Neil Toff checking in from Sunrise, Florida, which is part of South Florida, United States, which is super close proximity to Miami, which probably most people throughout the planet know. I am checking in working from the kitchen of my home, as most of us probably are, and I have the immense pleasure to have a really fun end-of-the-week Friday chat with Paul. Paul, tell us who you are, where you're checking in from for all those that don't know you. Give us a little background on the who, what, when, where, how. Yeah, certainly so. Hi, guys. Uh, My name's Paul Catherell. I'm currently checking in from Manila in the Philippines. I've been fortunate, in inverted commas, to spend the last two weeks in quarantine with my beautiful wife, and we haven't killed each other yet. So I think that's a good thing. We've gone through quite a tough couple of weeks here in terms of the quarantine. We went from nothing on a Thursday to everything on a Monday, which obviously from a contact centre perspective, a BPO perspective, had a huge impact on the staff there. So yeah, so Neil, I guess we should start there, mate. Just one little piece of background here. So Paul and I did a webinar just over a week ago with ICMI. And the webinar was really structured around quality assurance, quality management, and a little bit of talk about analytics and how both of our operations look at the world in terms of quality. And like I said, it's super structured, but that talk gave me a ton of ideas and thoughts with other things around the contact center world and customer care of things I wanted to ask you, learn about you, about your experience, how you look at the contact center world, how you manage your business, how you think through operations, and put that in the context of where we're at almost 10 days later about what's happened in the world. You and I are both working from home. A lot of our contact center agents are working from home. You have agents deployed in various countries throughout the world. What's it like? What's going on in the last 10 days? And give the world a little view from how you see things. That's a great question. It's really changed. The whole dynamic of the BPO structure and the contact center world has changed over the past 10 days. So yeah, so let's go back to your question. I'm fortunate that for the past, let's say, three or four years, I've always been working from home, which has allowed me to be flexible and kind of travel. So I spent time in the UK, spent time in the US, and visited our sites in the, in the Dominican Republic and Mexico. If we go back to last Monday, just last Monday, not the, not the Monday just gone, the Monday before, we had no staff working from home, zero, in both our sites. And we currently have probably about 300, 350 staff across both our sites in Mexico and the DR. Fast forward to now, just in two weeks, we are now 100% agents working from home with minimal impact on performance. We had a dodgy couple of intervals, and by intervals, I mean hourly intervals last Friday, but that's it, mate, that's it. So it's really testament to the sites and our vendor partners in terms of how they're able to make that happen logistically. I have to give a shout out, though, because at the moment, well, let's, let's go back, sorry, last week, there was no restrictions in place in the Dominican Republic at all. But because of what I'd seen here in in the Philippines, I really pressed the sites to get ahead of the curve. So when we pressed the button in moving the agents from office to home in the Dominican Republic, we were probably ahead of the curve by 24 hours. The following day, they had police going around to the contact center, forcing agents to go home. And the fact that we were able to do that in such short notice actually speaks volumes to our partner in the Dominican Republic. 
Mexico this week have gone to 100% working from home by today. They've done it in a very strategic operational fashion where they planned it out and they moved maybe 15, 20% of their staff on a daily basis. So that's worked well. Where I'm at at the moment from a performance perspective, Neil, is we've probably had two weeks of grace from the senior executive team for the company that I work for where they've gone, okay, let's just get through this. Let's just see what happens. From next week onwards, I really feel that's where we're expected to have a performance back to our normal levels of BAU, right? There's only so much, and I hate saying it because I'm all for the people, I'm all about humanity. We put humanity first, we put the agents first, right? But when you get down to the the crux of the matter, they're still there to give us a performance, whether they're based at home or based in the office, right? And that was really the message that I gave to the sites on our daily catch-up call today was, okay, guys, you've done a great job in moving agents and they've answered calls, which is fantastic. But now we need to go back to give the customer experience that we were given prior to the move. We have seen a slight drop-off in our CSTAT and our SCR and our QA score, which we've not really forced the sites to focus on, but that needs to change from next week. The challenge that I think we're going to face now, Neil, and, and I'd be interested to hear your views on this, is how do we go about managing or what's your approach in managing remotely agents? Because senior leaders, people like you and me in our position, we've got a degree of discipline and we've also got a degree of, I guess, buy-in for our company where we want it to be a success, right? And again, I'm not I'm not belittling agents because they have a very tough job, but some of that buy-in and some of that discipline may be lacking from an agent's perspective. So what are you going to do to ensure that you're still getting the performance for your clients? Because you don't want to be in a position where you've got clients shouting at you simply because you've moved location, right? What are your thoughts on that, my friend? It's so true. So I've looked at it as a contact center leader of let's push. And, and we took the approach of, I think, your site in Dominican Republic, which is a very narrow window of time and try to push as many people into home as possible, first and foremost, to protect them, get ahead of the curve, yeah. because we didn't think we had the luxury of time to be deliberate and take the operational approach that you mentioned with that your Mexico center took. We didn't know the pace of the virus, what, what it could take. We didn't know politically in our local market in Bogota, Colombia, what could happen. You know, it's very difficult to anticipate what local government is going to do and mandate. Once government makes a decision, you don't want to be on the wrong side of it, regardless of the country. And so we knew at some point local government would mandate some type of shutdown. And we were about three days ahead of the curve, fortunately. And as you mentioned, I mean, hats off to our leadership team for having the foresight and just the relentless pursuit of the objective of getting everybody home as quickly as possible. One thing you said triggered a memory of a conversation I had this morning, which is the pace with which we've accomplished these changes and innovations in our operation is breathtaking. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you'd asked me three months ago, if I thought we could put together a work from home strategy from nothing to everything in one week, I probably would have said, I'm kind of really worried and I would have hedged and tried to risk manage and you know hemmed and hawed about it. And we pulled it off. Companies like ours and so many of them, and this is a conversation I had with someone who works for a bank and oversees contacts and operations for banks. She told me the same thing. The pace of the improvements and changes and modifications that they have introduced has been breathtaking. This is possible because of the team. 
Mm. If you have the right people leading the team and participating on the team, then everyone gets into lockstep around the objective and the vision. It makes it possible. If you have someone who's hemming and hawing, it's never going to be possible. One person who swim upstream, swimming against a current, it's never going to happen. So it's a testament, I think, to all of our leadership and our team members that are able to take the instructions and, and the vision and just really push it through. You mentioned a really interesting thing about like, so how are we going to manage this? You're right. We got up and running a little bit of quote unquote grace period. Just yeah. everyone has been incredible with us with patience. And by the way, incredibly, we didn't really have any glitches, at least right. not major, glitches. a little spot one offs here and there. But what I realized is all the incredible opportunities we have to make work from home the norm rather than the exception, right? The rule, not the exception. And in a market like ours, I think we have to. Now, how do you do that successfully, right? I'm, I'm seeing all the opportunities with bring on some more advanced tools, rolling out advanced QA tools, talking about QA, some more speech yeah. analytics tools, rolling out a broader e-learning offering so that we can get agents up to speed faster rather than the old school way of sitting them down in a training classroom and pulling them off the floor or having them come in before their shift or stick around after their shift. Like those are old school methodologies of working that in this new world, they're not going to work. Everyone's working from home, like it or not. And we've got to be able to get to them in front of their screen and make it a good experience. So e-learning, speech analytics, and, and I've been talking, we'll be talking more online and webinars about some other digital tools that allow for lower effort better experiences, faster experiences. And I think we've got to figure out how to incorporate those to make customer experience better. Last thing in the world that people want to, customers want to do is wait online. They don't want to wait. Exactly. They, don't want to exactly. they get tired of that. They'll churn out, they'll cancel, they get bored, they'll hang up. And next thing you know, all that stuff becomes a time bomb for all of our management. So there's tools out there. And that's part of what I'm spending my time now that I have a little bit of luxury and space working from home, figuring out what tools, looking at tools, looking at LinkedIn, looking at presentations, you know, actually reading these sales emails that probably all of us, you know, get dozens of all day long that most of them, we hit delete, 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 delete. I'm actually reading some of these now and pay attention to some of them. Whereas before I would probably just hit delete all. Now I actually yeah. read through some yeah. and pay attention to what's in the marketplace. I don't know. What, what do you think? I too have started to read those emails in terms of what is the options out there. And I see a lot over, you know, like you were saying, speech analytics, work from home, dialer, all that type of stuff. I'm kind of caught in two minds at the moment. And I think that's simply because we're two weeks into quarantine, right? The humanity part of me kind of goes, how dare they see this as a sales opportunity, right? That's, that's, that's the yeah. humanity part of me, right? And I know I need to get over myself a little bit. How dare you think that it's okay to sell to me in, this, in my moment of need? Right. Exactly. 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 But then on the flip side, it's absolutely the right time to sell because you hit the nail on the head there. The salient point there was this is going to be the norm moving forward. This isn't just a glitch while we get through the COVID-19 virus. This is going to be the new norm, whether BPOs have 100% of staff working from home, whatever denomination of that percentage, there will always be now a certain percentage of agents working from home or people working from home. And that means by default that there is new opportunities out there and new programs and new platforms that we should be looking at as, as an industry, such as, you know, funny enough, I had a conversation earlier today with a general hospital here in the Philippines who have been able quite quickly and quite 
quite successfully to transport their staff to a working home environment, but they don't have the dialer or they don't have that capability already set up. So I'm fortunate if my, my network or I know people who can help them out. So I do feel that this is going to be the new norm as, as we move forward. I don't know what impact that will have on client relations and client vendor relations. If that will change, I really don't know. I think it's an open book. But the biggest challenge that, that I'm seeing now from my part is that management perspective, right? It is that, right, how are we going to get the agent who's doing 90% QA or CSAT scores, or whatever, two weeks ago, has now dropped down to 80%. How are we going to get him back up there? You'll never have that same impact on a one-to-one through a conference unless you really, really work at it. So I like your discussion there about speech analytics because I really feel that's probably the way to go and there'll be a lot more AI coming into that on how we, you know, how we're going to manage agents moving forward. There's just a lot happening in the marketplace at the moment, Neil, and it's really fluid, right? There's so many changes. And like you said, if somebody has spoken to me before, even last week, before our webinar, right, and said, and this is only last Wednesday, (laughs) could you get 300 staff working from home by Friday? No way. And here we've done it. We've done it, right? We've absolutely done it. It's amazing if you think about it like that. I do have a question, though, in terms of, you know, when you moved your agents working from home, did you provide the hardware and the software? So, like, the, you, you provided all that at your cost. You didn't speak to the clients about That's it. That's a good question. So, we provided the hardware. I have to admit that in our local market in Bogota, Colombia, there started to be some scarcity around laptops. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. probably the case in, in most major cities and markets because not only are the call centers looking for stuff, but Every company is looking for portable equipment for their workforce. So we were able to get 100% equipment for our our agents. We did toy with the idea of allowing our agents to use their devices, their tablets, their cell phones, their desktop or laptop computers. And we put a kibosh to it after a day or two of in the planning process and thought, you know what? There's three things, three main risks or three main variables here. And the three variables, the way I saw the world was, Agent commitment around performance and compliance. Are the agents going to log in when they're supposed to log in? When they're logged in, are they going to do and say and communicate the way we've trained them and asked them and mandated that they behave on our behalf, on our clients' behalf, on behalf of customers, fulfilling all the obligations that they have under best practices and guidelines and laws, right? There's a lot of risk when you have agents sitting at home when there's not a camera on them. And we don't have full control over that. It's kind of like children. You prepare the children, you teach them, and then you launch them out into the world and you've got to hope for the best. And we think that is, you know, we've made them reaffirm and sign commitments and around the things that are in their contract around all the things we just talked about. But that only is a piece of paper. We eventually have to trust that they're going to be good actors. So that's number one. Number two, Big risk, local bandwidth. What each agent has in internet connectivity to their home, their Wi-Fi within their network. We didn't have enough time to go ahead and contract out bandwidth into each and every person's home. We are looking to figure that out, what we're going to do around bandwidth. So that's a big variable that we don't control. And then finally is the device. And the device, yeah. we thought, well, yeah, we just put it on you know, the tablet, the laptop, the cell phone, the whatever that eats at the middle. And we thought, uh-uh, no way. We will have zero control if that happens. We don't know what each person has and as much as they say they have this. We don't really know if they have that. And trusting the agents to install all of the things that we need to make them 
be able to connect into our network and, and check all the boxes around security, way too much of a risk. So we went out and procured laptops for 100% of our team. Now, the interesting thing is what happens when, because we've gotten a lot of requests to grow and yeah. people that yeah. need additional staff and want to start up a new program. And we're trying to figure that out. We do have our desktop computers back on the call center floor that if we had to use them, they're there. And we're in the conversation right now to, to procure more and more laptops. But so is everybody. And so that's a, an interesting thing that we have to figure out around risk of, of how we grow that part sustainably. And, you know, I don't have the answer exactly yet, but probably by next week when we do our next hopeful call, I'll have more yeah. of an update. But that's definitely a concern I think all of us have is device and availability, right? So many questions. Sorry, mate. So many questions. So do any of your accounts involve like credit card processing? It's the most critical thing in most of our clients' operations. At some okay. point, there is either a card taken for payment for a product, for a shipment out of a new supply, for a reorder, for a replacement, for a something. And so yeah. we do touch card payments and that presents a whole myriad of potential solutions and problems. In our operation, we are PCI compliant. We have a total number of things that we mandate on the contact center floor, on the agent desktop. We have the cameras, we have the software that monitors every keystroke and swipe and navigation on the computer. We still have that on the laptops, but we don't have a camera on the living room floor. No, no, it's scary, right? Or any operation or any company that's able to mandate that. That gets creepy and I don't want to get into that space. We have to rely on, on the good actors. Now, that being said, we do have some tools in place today that the agents do not hear or see credit card information that is given by customers. We have some tools and we're further beefing those up and there's some really cool stuff out there as well. I alluded to some other digital tools and, and partners that we're going to be working with to beef that up. Those are huge opportunities and needs that all of us have to get our hands around compliance and protection of customer data and payment card data. And, and you guys are in the same space. I mean, you guys are taking, exactly. you know, card payments all day long and probably 90% of your business, right? As a provider of mobile services, at some point, you guys have to top up people and get them to subscribe or resubscribe and take payment card information. How in the world do you do that in two geographies, knowing that you've got to fulfill U.S. mandates and in a remote environment? It's, it's a tremendous question mark of how do you do it? So we've done more or less similar things to you. So we have a process within our IVR that means that agents, when they have to take the payment, have to process, have to take that payment through something that's called secure pay. So there's no credit card taking of information and the, and the customer does that all themselves. So that's one way we've been able to mitigate that challenge. The other challenge is from a sales perspective that, you know, if a brand new customer is calling in, because secure pay only works if you're an existing customer or you so say you've got a credit card on file or you want to put a credit card on file. So that in itself created a different problem. So a workaround with that has that we've been able to procure a small number of agents at both sites who still work under the PCI compliance. So if a customer does want to become a new customer, then that call is transferred over to the sales queue and then they process the payment through and still under the PCA compliant umbrella. So we remove that completely away from the agent. How long we'll be able to maintain that until both the DR and Mexico invoke complete shutdown, we don't know. And that's we are looking at ways that we can mitigate that. It may be that we don't take sales car, may that we don't take process sales, although that's highly unlikely. What we'll probably do is create 
a Tiger team, any payment has to go through them for new customers alone. That's yeah. some of the things that we're looking at. I heard a quote on Monday says, welcome to our brand new company, right? Welcome to our brand new business. That was bang on for me. That hit the nail on the head because it is, everything is is all brand new, right? We're learning how to manage remotely. We're learning how to, as we say, take payments, how to QA, how to CSAT, all that above, right? And another salient point that you made previously was about the customer. The customer doesn't want to wait online. Obviously, the customer cares about the agent's well-being, but they don't know them, Right. So they still want to have that level of service. So yeah, we, as you said, we've gone through our grace period. We need to hit the floor running now, mate. So yeah, there's a lot happening out there. There's a lot happening out there. Well, as we come through this, how does this affect you personally in how you work? Or you know, I, I saw you you made a post this morning on social media about working from home. You had some really good tips. And does yeah. it change your personal work habits, philosophy, vision? At all, you mentioned you're going to do, for example, a, a virtual meetup at the end of the day, like a happy hour type thing with your team. Yeah, that's sensational. Who would have ever thought about virtual happy hours a couple months ago? Like, exactly, right? it's madness. And has it changed how I look at work? Yes, more than ever, it's changed how I look at work. So, if I go back four or five years, I was of a thought process that you had to be in the office to be able to get your job done, right? But now, mate, that could not be further from the truth. I think for me, the main challenge working from home, though, is you need to have that routine. You need to have a routine that you stick to and that works for you. And also, you have to have a space. I'm lucky I've got a space in my condo that I know is my workspace and that my wife, Anya, she knows my workspace. I don't move my laptop anywhere else. I just have my personal laptop, but that doesn't come anywhere near my workspace, right? So this stays here. And I don't take you it know, anywhere else. You bleed into your wife's workspace. She doesn't let you into that workspace. She probably kicks your arse if you probably go into her, her workspace. <laughs> I can imagine what that one looks like. You're absolutely right, mate. And we've both got different rhythms when it comes to work, right, in terms of how Anya approaches work and how I approach work. And, you know, my routine is completely different from Anya's routine, but it's it's something that I know I need to stick to. So I get up in the morning, and, I, and I'm fortunate where I, I live in the Philippines, but I cover U.S. time. So my morning... Is probably elongated compared to most people's morning. So that's when I do my reading. That's when I do my fitness stuff. That's when I, I get my head right. And then what I do is then after I finish work, I go straight to bed and I'm, I'm done. I might take 30 minutes to, to wind down, but that's it, right? That's how my routine works. Whereas most people, the morning's rushed and then the evening's where they've got the time to kind of, you know, wind down and stuff like that. My perception of working from home has, has completely changed. Most people see it as a bit of a jolly. And it's not, it's far from it. Actually, Anya and I were talking actually over just over the weekend and she's probably worked harder in the past two weeks and longer than she ever has in her past life, right? And it's simply because she's still adjusting to working from home. And let's bear in mind that, you know, she herself was going through a lot of campaigns that were in the office and now are working from home. And the main takeaways for me are working from home is have a routine, have a space and don't be available 24-7. Because the moment you're available 24-7, people start to expect it. That was a hard lesson for me because I like people to like me. I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. And I also want people to think that I'm good at my job, right? And the way that I would do that was, well, if they're asking a question, you know, before Slack day, so through Skype, they're asking a question through Skype or through Slack as it is now. I wanted to respond. I got some excellent advice from one of my old managers who said, you don't have to respond straight away, right? 
just chill, just relax and, and think it through. And then what happens then is that people understand that you're not available 24-7 and they start to respect your own time and space. There's obviously, you know, exceptions to that when things are on fire or what have you. But if you can stick to that, then those three things there, if you can stick to those three things, those three elements, in my opinion, they really help you working from home. The notion of availability, yeah. You don't always have to be available. And I think quality over quantity, you don't have to answer yeah. every single email quantity. You have to be available yeah. at the right times and be there so that you've got some quality in your life, but that your work reflects quality. You're not answering stuff at two in the morning. It's not necessary. Exactly. Nothing's happening yeah. at two in the morning. And you know, and the one off, and if, if the network is down or you know there's a technical issue, sure you got to handle that. But that's the exactly. exception and not the rule. I agree. I'm trying to think, you know, how it affects my life, and, and as I reflect on like this last week and ten days yeah. and stuff that we've been going through, and I do a lot of reading on LinkedIn. I you know I, I see everyone posts about every other word is about the virus, this and virus that. What I've noticed <laughs> is like there's so much more sales activity. So we talked about that. A lot of people are out there selling, which. I had the same reaction as you did, which is, how dare you yeah, think yeah. that this is the right moment for me to start <laughs> buying stuff? And I'm not going to buy stuff, but, but I'm listening and I'm looking. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is that I keep seeing on LinkedIn is not a lot of it, but I've seen a little bit here is this is the opportunity to revamp, exactly. to improve, to change. And our operation is ISO 9001 compliant. And, the, and one of the big things around the ISO quality system is process and practice discipline, structure, but also the importance of continuous improvement. Yeah. And this is the best moment to understand what does continuous improvement look like? What do we want to improve? I get to not undo everything and break and smash everything, but a lot of it is already kind of broken. And so that's okay. We can get to figure out how to put the pieces back together again, what the glue looks like, how the pieces are woven together, which pieces we're going to use from the old puzzle and put them into the new puzzle. And that's exciting. It's hard. It's challenging. And I think ultimately sometimes there's going to be either some people or some pieces maybe left in the old world that aren't necessarily going to make it to the new world. And that's sad. And you talked about you know, the human element, but we got to do what's best for the business and what's best for the exactly. customers and what's best for our clients and all these things. And I look at it as, as, as opportunity. I'm, I'm super excited to figure out work from home and what that means for us, okay. all these different technology tools, how we restructure our own operation from being originally a live agent only and how we're going to integrate all this automation and become more efficient, hopefully provide better customer experiences, how to get better yield and production out of the human team that works for us and make sure that they are as skilled as possible, as well-trained as possible, as well-engaged, as well-intentioned. We've selected and, and hired the right people and out with the old ways of doing things and being about mass and about quantity. I want yeah. to be more about quality and qualitative. And again, I look at that as, as opportunities. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm crazy, but um, you know. hear your feedback if I'm smoking dope on this one or, or what the world is thinking. <laughs> not yet, mate. Not yet. No, I, th I, th I think you're on the money. I think the one thing that stuck with me there that you mentioned, and I've not even thought about this up until you spoke about it there was recruitment. Do you think your recruitment strategy is going to change now in terms of the type of agent and the type of team manager you're going to hire? Because it's all well and good where you get 15 people doing the same thing, sitting together in the same cluster who can feed off each other, right? But I'm wondering now if that recruitment profile is going to change where you're going to actually want them to be a lot more self-efficient and self-disciplined, right? And by 
default then, does that mean, you're not going to like me for saying this, but does that mean then that your hiring costs will go up and then that will be passed on to the client? Or the fact that they're working from home, do you think that will offset it because you won't need to invest in so many fixtures and fittings, shall we say? How would you see that playing out, mate? Questions of the day, like literally I discussed these things earlier today and this is what I'm thinking about. So we looked at, and every year we look at, you know, how many sites do we need and how big should the sites be and how many hundreds or thousands of seats and all that craziness. And we decided this year to wait and let's kind of see how the business grows. Let's not bite off more than we can chew. And I'm so yeah. glad we did because look, if we'd invested in real estate and physical space, the world changed and we'd be just like the retail world is today with lots of excess capacity and space that you're paying for nothing to do with it, nothing to fill it with. And so, so that's one thing, the, the concept of physical space and real estate and the costs around that. But you asked about hiring. I, I love this question. So yeah, we have to get our hands around how do we profile the person mm-hmm. that can work from home successfully? Not everybody is cut out for it. In fact, <laughs> maybe more are not cut out for it rather than less. And those that aren't going to be cut out for it, you know, they're going to take shortcuts, the adherence, they're not going to log in and they're going to be on wrap up time when they should be talking. And, you know, that throws a huge monkey wrench into all of our efficiencies and metrics we're trying to get out of the operation. We have to figure out how to profile the right candidate and right employees for our team, how to motivate them, get them to work. We have to get out of babysitting and people yeah. have to be self-reliant and be self-motivated and know what's expected of them, but be able to be their own boss, their own supervisor, so to speak. By the way, it does create an interesting question of what does the new supervisor role look like? Exactly. Right. right? Yeah. Like the yeah. supervisor, you know, is the guy that guy or gal that walks the floor. That's looking and says, make sure you log in, log out, you get a break, you get a lot, you know, sort of that very manual old school way of doing things. The role of the supervisor, what is it now? I'm not sure. I'd even ask the question. I don't know if we have the answer for it. Do we need a supervisor anymore? (laughs) You read my mind. You absolutely read my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does the supervisor role now become more of a coaching role and a development role, right? Or like you said, do we even need that role in the first place? And does the role of... QA and training, does that actually increase? The significance of having a top-notch QA training team now, you know, overcome what you want from an operations manager? Mate, I I don't know the answer. I think we're only going to get those answers as we go through this whole process, right? And the people that understand it and the people that crack it, they'll smash it out of the park. I don't know what your thoughts are, mate. A step further is, do you need a QA department anymore? If you have the tools, if the technology really does what it's supposed to do and can evaluate calls, chats, texts, whatever, with the level of efficiency that it's supposed to have, and many of these companies claim that it does, do you need the QA team anymore? Why do you need the QA team? This is all hypothetical, right? Yeah. Why do you need the QA team if within an hour of hanging up a call, an agent gets feedback on that call, written feedback or score, and they should be entrusted to read and understand and adjust how they perform based on that feedback. Now, maybe this is a pipe dream. Of course, it's all hypothetical and we're just kind of <laughs> putting it out there. That's, that's an ideal scenario. But do you need a QA team or do you need no. 10 people doing QA when you can really do the same thing with one person and a exactly. bunch of software? Who knows, man? I tell you, it's an interesting world that we're going into. I, for one, am excited about what opportunities they had because as much as I've loved our conversation and I always love speaking to you, my friend, you know, we've been chatting out for nearly 30 minutes. I don't think we've even got the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things you need to, you know, workforce, how's workforce going to change? 
You know, like you say, two way, how's training going to change? How are you going to train people? How are you going to onboard people if your trainer is in one location? And that could be anywhere in the world. And you've got 15, 16 other people who are at different locations. How's that going to work? What's the sign-off process going to be, right? IT, what if, what if the, you know, the agent's home PC goes down or like you, you provided what says go down and are we expecting IT to go and visit them? There's a lot here, mate, that I think right now hasn't been answered and you know far better than I. But yeah. that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. It's, it's a great time. It's an exciting time. But there's also that fear of the unknown, right? There's that scary time where we really don't know what's going to happen. If you're not scared, you're not a human. Literally, it's that blunt. And the interior thinking like, oh my God, what if, how, when, what, what does this all mean? I think you're not awake, you're not paying attention because this is this is no, very exactly. No, I agree, man. And you, you're absolutely right. If you don't see this change in the whole landscape of BPOs or contact centers or whatever you want to call them, and I don't mean in six, 12 months, I mean now, then like you're not awake. You're really not awake. And there's a lot more to come of this, mate. There really is. I would say this. One thing for this audience here, if anyone's still with us, you know, by the time this gets posted, <laughs> and I hope that those that are turning on will actually stay to this, but I forgot to mention one thing. Paul and I are going to have a little fun with this series and, and hopefully do this on a, on a regular basis, maybe weekly or we'll figure it out. But we came up with kind of a cute name for it. I think it was Fireside Chat Without the Fire, I think is what we decided <laughs> to call right. it. <laughs> uh, we'll have to brand it as that. And I don't know, man, I, I think that you know, our next session, we have a ton more that we'll talk about. And if it's in a week or whatever it is, we're going to know a lot more. We'll have seen a lot more. We'll, exactly. The world will have evolved significantly a lot by then. It gives us a lot to look forward to for the next call. I really enjoyed this, Paul. And for those that are listening to this, you got to pay attention to this guy. He's a well-read guy. He's a practitioner. He's out there in the field doing all the stuff that a lot of us talk about and blog and post about. But He's on the front lines, been doing some really great work with multiple sites and multiple places and different languages and channels. And, and I think there's not a more well-rounded practitioner out there than Paul. So it's a privilege for me to share this time with you, Paul. Thank you. And until the next time, I guess, right? For those people are listening, how can people get in touch with you? Is Twitter the best place or? LinkedIn, that's at Neil Toff altogether. No caps, no spaces, no hashtags, no underscores. It's N-E-A-L-T-O-P-F. And these days, that stuff is so available. It goes right to the cell phone. So that's yeah. always the best way to find me on Twitter, or on LinkedIn, whatever. Well, Twitter, I'm dot paulcat 72 And LinkedIn, Paul Catherall, which is spelled C-A-T-H-E-R-A-L-L. Like you, very easy to find. Perfect. This was fun, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Until next time. Those of you that made it this far, thank you for listening and watching. And please ping us. Let us know you're out there and you have a heartbeat, hopefully still by this point. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Cathro. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.